You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. So, the Overwhelm series is built on this understanding uh, where we're studying the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to go through the last four fruit of the Spirit today, but they're very basic, very simple, okay? Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control, okay? We're going we're gonna to hit those, but more importantly, what I really want to do this morning is remind us, remind us of how do we experience life in the Spirit. Remind us that we're not to pursue these fruits. Instead, we're to pursue Jesus. We're to pursue time in the Spirit, to learn to walk in the Spirit. What I would like to say is like, we, we, we want to learn to live close to the tree where the fruit is. We want to stay close to the tree. As we stay close to the tree, Jesus, spend life in the Spirit, what happens is, as he desires, that fruit falls, and we're underneath, and we're just like, woohoo, get the fruit, eat the fruit, share the fruit, catch the fruit, eat the fruit, share the fruit. That's all we do. But it happens not by pursuing the fruit, climbing the tree, not by our efforts. Life in the Spirit happens by spending time in the Spirit, by spending time with Christ. This week I blogged on this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What happens? What a great model for us. What a great picture. What happens? We receive power, and then what? We become witnesses. We receive power, not on our own effort, not on our own accord, from Jesus. We get power from the Spirit, and then we go and do the work of the Spirit, but not backwards. We don't do it on our own, under our own power. We receive power, and then we just become witnesses. Same thing with the fruit. We get the fruit, we eat the fruit, and we want to share the fruit. But it happens by living close to the tree, having experiences of drinking God's wine, his love, his peace, his joy, and then taking it into the world. It's that experience that allows for transformation to happen in our heart, and we're driven out of love instead of obedience. Now, again, you heard me talk about obedience and love. You need to get what I was going at. I mean, some of you are going to go tell your, like, super, super reformed friends, they're like, Antley's talking about getting rid of obedience at church today. <laughs> he said, we repent of obedience. What I'm meaning is that there's something greater. There's something greater. Are there times when we're called to be obedient when we don't feel like it? Absolutely. But in heaven, it will be love. Our goal is to be motivated, be driven out of love. Knowledge and experience leads to transformation. And so, we're going to wrap up the overwhelmed theories, but with the emphasis on remembering. And, and, and so many of us as Christians, you know, we call ourselves a bridge church. We, we kind of come, we, we draw people who are extreme in the spirit, kind of on the Pentecostal side of things, and we draw people that are extreme kind of on the fundamental side of things, on the Bible side of things, and, and, we, and we desire to bring those two together because there's value in both. John Wimber said that we're grounded in the word and we're empowered by the spirit. And so both, we bring both of those groups together, never desiring to be balanced. We don't want to be balanced as a church, but we want to bring people of both extremes together to see the value when we come together as a body in diversity, we become strong and we reflect the heart of the Father in a way that is very powerful, not only as we together here, but to the world. But we forget, we forget these things. And a lot of us, because we've grown up in these environments for years and years and years, we need to be reminded that what we've been eating is not what is best, potentially. Yesterday, I got home, I had this craving for hamburgers. 
I mean, I was hungry. I was hungry like a wolf. And this section doesn't even know what I'm talking about. I was hungry like a wolf, and I wanted to get a hamburger, and, and, and I wouldn't want to spend money because Laura was with me, and so I wanted to get a hamburger, so I was like, have we got any meat at home? We have, you know, so we got home, and I like looked up making the special sauce. I cut onions. I got pickles. I made the hamburger. We even had buns. It was awesome. I mean, it was like this tall, right? And I was like, I bit into it with the special sauce on it. Oh, it was awesome. And immediately, my mind went to... Doesn't taste like a Whopper, though. <laughs> a Whopper? That's like fast food. And, and, and when I realized, it's like, as I ate the hamburger, I was like, I want a Whopper. I was hungry for a Whopper. And I was like, why would I be hungry for a Whopper when I got the Super Burger right here? Why would I desire the Whopper when I got the special size Super Burger right here that I just made? Was well, because as a child, that was my favorite hamburger. It's created in my palate, this yearning every once in a while that creeps up. And I remember the flavor of the Whopper. And so every hamburger I eat, it doesn't matter if I'm at X or if I'm at M Shack or if I'm at wherever, it's like, doesn't compare to the Whopper. Nothing's like the Whopper. Nothing is like the Whopper. Why? Because my palate has been conditioned my palate has been conditioned over the years to associate hamburger, Whopper. Good hamburger, Whopper, right? And Whopper is the standard. Even though I'm like eating like fresh Kobe beef hamburgers or whatever, it doesn't compare to the flavor of the Whopper. And so I've settled for less. Same thing happens with us. As evangelicals, we grow up being taught, you want the fruit of the Spirit? Pursue the fruit of the Spirit. Be obedient. Pursue it. Go after it. Go, go, go. And where does that lead? Exhaustion, Right? And so you hear teaching like I'm telling you now. No, 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 no. Live close to the tree. The fruit will fall. Eat the fruit. Share with the world, right? And we hear that and we go, no, 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 no. I like the whopper. I like the obedience. I like when my flesh is in control. I like pursuing the fruit because I can then be like better than other people who aren't as good as me at pursuing the fruit, right? Even though it's the word of God, it's the truth of God, it resonates in our spirit, we have a hard time believing it because we've gotten used to the whopper, the lie, that this is the best that it is. We come from these different places, but this is the truth, folks. We are not meant to be in ministry exhausted, worn out, beat up. We are not to be people of of comparison to other people. We are made to be people, as Paul says, who are drunk in the spirit, who are walking in the spirit. And like being drunk in the flesh, what happens? You can't help but stumbling around. You drink too much wine, you drink too much beer, you drink too much alcohol, you will act a certain way. The same thing is true when it comes to walking in the spirit. You live close enough to the tree for a long enough period of time, however that looks for you, and you experience Jesus, you experience his love again and again and again, and guess what happens? You begin to look drunk, God drunk, drunk on the world, not on the world, but drunk on the things of the spirit. And out of that, life comes This empowered by the Spirit, not by your efforts. Let's go to Galatians. We're going to nail these last two, these last four quickly. And we're going to end with me reminding you how this works together. Even though I just did it, we might not. I warn, whoa, this is Galatians 5. Yeah, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about living in the world. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, real quickly, a lot of these words mean exactly what you think they mean, okay? Kindness means kindness, okay? But it's not talking about acts of kindness, okay? Don't go around practicing random acts of kindness in the name of Jesus, okay? Kindness is a temperament. And what's so cool about this promise is that we live near the tree, we stay under the tree, we get the fruit of kindness. Guess what God changes? Our personality. It doesn't have anything to do with action. It has to do with our heart. What a great personality challenge and change. I mean, there are parts of our life we all have hidden parts of our personality that no one knows about. We try to hide it. We get bumped. Oops, oops, sorry. I hate you. Bam. Sorry. Personality coming out there. The promise and the hope of kindness is this. It means there's something very similar to goodness, and I'll tell you what goodness means in a second. But kindness has to do with the fruit that changes our temperament. And you bump in. We all know people that have known Jesus. I mean, I think of Francis McNutt right away. You go, if you know Francis McNutt, or someone like Barry Kissel, who's been in the faith a long time. Martha Polk's like this too, you know. You bump into them, and what do you get? You get just like they're genuinely kind all the time. Just all the time. You're like, I just met with Jesus, I think. I think Jesus was there. It looked like Francis, but it, I think it was Jesus. And, and they didn't even do anything. They didn't do anything, but it was their personality. It was just something about them that was really kind. That's kindness. Okay, moving on. Goodness. Goodness is action. And it's characterized in expressing itself towards your neighbor, towards the lost, towards other people, okay? And so goodness is very action-oriented, okay? Doing good things for other people, okay? But here's the thing about it. It's also associated with power. There's power involved. And so goodness often will look like rebuking, exhorting, and telling the truth in circumstances where there's gray, broken, darkness, And so goodness comes out in behavior that brings truth, but results in good. God is good. What does that mean? He knows what I need, and at times it's painful how he shares that with me or grows me, but he's growing my heart to be good like he is good, and I can trust him because he's good. And that's what that means, okay? Moving on. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a pretty, this one also means faithfulness, okay? trustworthiness is a word that you could associate with it, honesty, reliability, and one's dealing with others. So this is what happens. You're living close to the tree, right? And you're like, you see the world out beyond you. And as you're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, this is what happens. The things of the world no longer are as attractive to you. And because they're not as attractive to you, people who are in the world want to trust you with those things. Because they know and they see something in you that shows them that they don't want what, you, what they have. You, you don't want what they have. That you want them. You love them. You have the things of God. You're deeper. And so over time, here's the reality. We live close to the tree. We begin to be filled with the Spirit. We begin to walk in the Spirit. And then all the things of the world no longer have their shiny, sparkly appearance that they once had. They grow dull. Our heart grows alive to God. It grows dull to the desires of the world. And then people who have things of the world are willing to trust us with them, even though they might not know us that well. They see something in us of God that is trustworthy, is faithful. Now, in believers, this is true too for people of Christians. People, you ever been 
talking to someone, they come up to you and they share something really powerful, really deep, out of the blue. Why would they do that? Because gift of faithfulness, you're eating faithfulness, and they come to you and you share that with them and they receive it. And they share their heart with you. Something that's very valuable to them, they share with you. Why would they do that? Because of the Spirit. The Spirit's moving. And he's unwrapping. He's giving you that gift. And that's what's happening. That fruit is coming alive in your life. And so you become attractive to people. You hear people say that you, we all wear signs. Well, that is a sign that will manifest itself as people start to dump their stuff in your lap. You'll know, what in the heck's happening? All my friends are sharing stuff with me now. Well, it's because they think you're faithful. You're trustworthy. You're honest. Because the things of God are more important to you than the things of the world. And they trust you as a result of that, okay? All right, faithfulness, gentleness. This is the best one. I mean, self-control's at the end. You know, I don't like that one. But anyway, gentleness. Gentleness is interesting. And Aristotle describes it like this, okay? I don't know. I don't read Aristotle every day, but every other day maybe, right? And there's this definition as I was reading about these. And he said that gentleness stands in the middle between two extremes, getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all. So gentleness is here, as it's used in the text, is getting angry at the right time in the right measure for the right reason. Gentleness. Getting ang- That's crazy. Gentleness. Getting angry at the right time for the right reason and the right measure, Right? And so, so Jesus, where? In the temple, right? Jesus. Oh, look at, look at, look at how G- gentle Jesus is. Throwing over tables, whipping people. He's so gentle. That's, that's the picture and the story that all the commentaries give for describing Jesus' gentleness. Because he got angry at the, for the right reason, people being taken advantage of and oppressed, at the right time, in the moment, at the right measure, without becoming sinful. That's gentleness. And so there's, again, this power associated with this adjective that reflects itself as we live close to the tree. And probably, if you're a parent, you can relate to this when it comes to disciplining our children. Man, I don't know what to do. I want to be, like, I got to be, I got to punish them. But I want to do it in a way that's appropriate I want to do it in the right measure for the right reason, you know, and I want to do it timely so that it's consistent with what's happened, right? So that's just a great picture. Gentleness, that's a good one. I love that one. Anyway, okay, self-control. Let's skip this one. Moving on. <laughs> self-control. This is a great one, and it's, it's a hard one to get our hands around, but I want to try to do it. It says self-control refers to the mastery over the desires and passions of yourself, of your flesh, Okay? Okay, self-control is often rendered as being able to say no to one's desires, commanding one's own desires, or being able to refuse what one's body wants to do. This one, more than any of the other fruit that fall from the tree, is what draws us and requires us to live close to Jesus. Because this is what happens. It's the craziest thing. The enemy is cunning. He's deceitful. He's so crafty in how he uses This is what happens to us. We're living close to Jesus. Fruit's falling. We're catching it. We're loving it. We're sharing it with the world. And what happens? We become like, this is awesome. Look at me. I'm like, 
I'm like, super Christian, this is great. And we kind of start to wander from the tree a little bit. And we're experiencing God's power in our life, right? We're experiencing God's bounty in our life, God's blessing in our life. And, and all of it's coming from the Spirit. And so one of the things that we do is that we have a tendency to react to that in the flesh. Look how good God is. He's good. He's so good. And what happens is we then fall. The enemy says, yeah, you're amazing. You're awesome. This is the only analogy I could really, I mean, there's other ones too, but this one most closely relates to what I do. It's the feeling you feel when you step off the stage from leading something or speaking to a, a group of people in something that's spiritual. So, for example, like, whenever men speak, when I'm teaching people to speak to audiences or whatever, if they're in high school, middle school, college, or they're just starting to speak or whatever, this is how it reflects itself. You come, you give a great talk, people are moved, there's powerful ministry. I call them on the way home and say, just know this, your flesh is vulnerable You've extended yourself spiritually. Know that whatever you normally struggle with, you will struggle with this afternoon. The enemy is prowling like a lion and he will devour you if you let your guard down. Why? Why? How could that happen? Because we've just extended ourselves in the power and the fruit and the, the power of the spirit. We've put ourselves out there. We can't control what God does with us, but we can control and feel like we deserve opportunity to extend our fleshly behaviors and desires. Oh, I deserve this now. And so self-control, I don't think is an accident that's tied at the end because it's the thing that requires us to say, no, that's too much. I have freedom, but that the enemy's wanting to enslave me with. I have the freedom to go have that, but that would be me satisfying my flesh. I want to stay close to the tree. And find life in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. I don't want to go out now and get drunk on wine or the world or on lust or on the other things that the world offers because I have the freedom to do so because I'm in the spirit. Okay. And so, we remember this. What's our goal? To get drunk on the spirit. Paul tells us, Look, watch the way you're walking. Watch the way you're walking. Look how you're behaving. Does it look like the world or does it look like God? Are you getting drunk on the world or are you getting drunk on God? Are you drunk in the spirit or are you getting drunk on wine? Drunking on wine leads to this. You don't inherit the kingdom of God. Getting drunk and walking in the spirit leads to this, life to the full. How does that happen? By living close to the tree. Living close to the tree is how that happens. Not by pursuing the different fruit. When we get drunk on God, when we get drunk on God, we get drunk on the Spirit, we begin to act and live in the Spirit. It will naturally happen. All of these things. Second, again, and ending with this, we don't pursue the fruit. So we don't try to be peaceful so we look like we're walking in the Spirit. We don't Try to be loving so that we then, oh look, I'm being loving. I'm walking in the spirit. No, that's living under our own power and our own control. It's when we live close to the tree that we're filled with the spirit and then we pour out the spirit to the world. 
We know this is the way God has to work. This is the way it has to be. Any other way puts the effort on us. Any other way makes those of us who are more disciplined than others the benefits, the ones who benefit from the kingdom of God. God wants the glory. God wants people drawn to him. Where did you get that fruit from? Why are you acting like this? I got it from the tree. Come, spend time with me in the tree. Come, come close to me and I'll, I'll show you the tree. That's where the fruit comes from. They are gifts. The fruit of the Spirit are gifts. They are blessings. They fall from the tree. When we're close to the tree, we receive them. I know, I'm being repetitious. But why do I? Because we forget. We believe, no, no, Antley. I want to be a good Christian, so I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go act like the fruit of the Spirit. That's a whopper of a lie. That's you. That's you remembering the old way of how you were before you came to this church. Believing the lie that it's up to you, that it's your behavior we're interested in, or that God's interested in, that you can make up yourself, like that little girl we talked about at the beginning of the service, to make yourself more beautiful. And if God thinks you're more beautiful, he'll love you more. And if he loves you more, well, he's gonna give you more gifts, power, and anointing. What a lie. It leads to exhaustion, bitterness, a position of, well, God, you owe me now. Look at my behavior. Seriously. We know God doesn't work like that. We want to go where the Spirit's moving. So I want to end with, you know, every once in a while, I'll walk in and I'll be shocked at something that's happening in my, my family. Well, not every once in a while, a lot. I'll walk into my house, I'm shocked at what's happening. Right? Kids are jumping off the roof on the trampoline. I'm shocked for a little while, then I move the trampoline away or whatever. We want to go and move where the Spirit's going in our life. God's unwrapping a gift. It's because we receive it, we're eating, we want to go there. We see this happening with our children. Every once in a while, I walk into the house and I see my kids doing something that is spiritual. I haven't done anything to do it, nothing. You know, last night I walk into the house from being out and Grace has her journal out. She's listening to worship music. I'm like, what? Look at God's on the move. And so I want to move there and pour into that. Our tendency is the exact opposite and the same as our life. We spend more time praying and pursuing and watching out for our children that aren't living in the spirit, don't we? We spend more time pursuing the gifts we don't feel like we have, don't we? I'm saying to do the, just the exact opposite. We love, care for all of our children all the time. But I'm saying when you see the spirit moving, that's where we want to go. God unpacks love. He unpacks peace falls in your lap from the tree. You eat it. That's what you take to the world. Not where you're weak. You go where God's moving. So Grace is riding with me to church today. She, I, she, I said, what's that in my journal? I know it's your journal. I knew that. What are you writing in there? Silence. I write in my journal things, prayers to God. I write in my journal when I get angry to God, angry at God. I write in my journal when something really good happens. I write my sermons in my journal, things that God says to me, I write in my journal. I'm just moving where God's moving. She didn't say anything the whole time. Just trying to be obedient and move where God's moving. That's being overwhelmed by God. When he overwhelms us, then we take that and we overwhelm the world in that area. Trusting as we live close to the tree, all the fruit will fall in his timing, at the right time, in the right way, in the right circumstance. But he begins, it begins by experiencing his love. 
begins by spending time with him, growing in our knowledge and our experience of him. We're going to give you that opportunity right now in ministry. Why don't we stand?